Welcome to Fat Guy, Jack Guy. I'm Stafford Bino. And I'm Brendan Walsh. Today we're talking about America's number one kink. But before we do that, we have a little message for you. Please become a patron of Fat Guy Jacked Guy by going to patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy. Our patrons get weekly bonus content as well as access to our library of dozens of bonus episodes. (laughs) And you'll be the first to know about our upcoming merch drops. That's right. Let's get on with the show. Fat Guy, Jack Guy, two wacky goofballs talking about stuff. Fat Guy, Jack Guy, two wacky goofballs talking about stuff. Two biological brothers talking about stuff. Brother, I'm jumping right into the preamble. Let's go. There's a certain kink that most (laughs) Americans have, a certain psychosexual pathology that lives within us. We aren't proud of it, but we don't shy away from it either. We don't want our kids to have it, but we can't help to expose them to it. Our shame was on full display in 2002 when Simon Cowell, a black-shirted Brit with a vague music industry job, crushed the dreams of thousands of prospective American pop stars. In this bizarre display of cruelty, we watched our fellow countrymen line up to sing and then receive a humiliating tongue lashing from this overseas invader. We loved it. Because we're shameful little piggies. (laughs) We said, that Simon Cowell is so mean. Then we lined up for another helping of hate. (laughs) We couldn't believe. That was so poetic. Thank you. (laughs) He made these nice people cry. Then we giggled and smiled. This guy really just said mean things to people. (laughs) How? Was it the accent? The game show, The Weakest Linked, served a purpose as well, with dismissive English host Anne Robinson (laughs) telling individual Americans, you are the weakest link, goodbye, (laughs) as if she were talking to any stupid, arrogant American who thought they were capable of anything. (laughs) It was like having old money aristocrats at your party for new money lottery winners. They see you... And what you are is pathetic. We didn't know what it was, but we knew that we'd discovered a weird new part of our American identity. We needed... (laughs) We needed to watch superior British people humiliate Americans on reality television. And like any American addiction, one wasn't enough. Give us more. More British snark. More aggressive Britishness. Please attack more than just our singing and intelligence. Tell us our food sucks, too. (laughs) One man in particular was ready to heed the call in our quest for British-American reality TV humiliation. Oh, yeah. Gordon (laughs) Ramsay. Ramsay, 
a tall, blonde, former footballer turned award-winning chef from Scotland had already begun his celebrity chef empire in the UK by first appearing in two documentaries and eventually getting his own show, Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, in 2004, mm -hmm. along with Hell's Kitchen, also in 2004. In these shows, Ramsay's brash style and vulgarity was complemented by his seemingly genuine concern <laughs> for the welfare of the people he worked with, so long as they displayed a willingness to follow his commands. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to make that sound sexy. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It wasn't long before American TV execs recognized that Ramsay's quasi-handsomeness, <laughs> coupled with his ability to eviscerate simpletons, would play well in America. I love the shade you're throwing at his 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 yeah, attractiveness he's like right now. Sort of attractive, like yeah, in a tall like, way. In a way. <laughs> I guess. You know, like if you're tall, like automatically. He kind of just looks like a guy yeah. to me. He's a guy. He's, and he's a tall. guy. That's the confidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the fact that he makes us feel like little piss pigs. <laughs> So with all this, in 2005, <laughs> the U.S. version of Hell's Kitchen premiered on Fox. Americans who thought Simon Cowell was rough learned a whole <laughs> new universe of British cruelty, and they couldn't help but feel some strange sexual gratification from it. <laughs> I like how you're making this claim, like, no doubt. <laughs> There's no doubt. This is how people felt. <laughs> I'm not trying to kink shame. There's no doubt this is okay? how people felt. This is an objective assessment. Yeah, it's objective. For one thing... Ramsey didn't withhold swearing. That's part of his brand. Parents covered their kids' ears while simultaneously feeling the tingle in their <laughs> loins. Yes, middle-aged Midwestern lady, that's a mean British chef telling a hayseed American <laughs> line cook that their steak is too well done. We needed more Ramsey, more swears. More tall British men telling us we're worthless. Mm -hmm. So Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares came over to the U.S. in 2007 as simply Kitchen Nightmares because we're too dumb. Yeah, we don't know who Ramsey is. Just tell us it's a nightmare, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this was our new Fox reality show with your favorite dominator. Throughout Ramsey's run as international superstar sexual humiliation expert... <laughs> Jamie Oliver. This is too much. <laughs> it's like, fun writing it, though. You really did. Yeah. You really went in. <laughs> Fucking Jamie Oliver, oh, a worst. more soft-spoken celebrity Brit chef, was plotting his own American adventure. Oliver is slash was a much different personality than Ramsay. He first appeared on American TV screens in the early 2000s as reruns of the BBC program The Naked Chef, an intimate home cooking show, appeared on the Food Network. I remember getting really stoked to watch The Naked Chef as a 12-year-old and then abruptly realizing there was no nudity at all. It wasn't the dude just cooking with his dong out. It was just Jamie Oliver. I love how you wanted to watch it. <laughs> I did. Because it like came you on late. to watch it. Yeah. For the dude, <laughs> the dude cooking dude. with his dog now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not potentially because there could be like a naked no. lady on it. I was just like, ooh, erotic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I but love it. Don't watch The Naked Chef, guys, because no naked there's Jamie no Oliver there. There's no naked people on The Naked Chef. There should be. But there should be, not. but there's not. Oliver soon became a big hit in the UK, opening restaurants, hosting cooking shows, and slowly becoming something of an, and I put this in quotes, 
activist <laughs> for what he deemed to be healthy eating. Although both Ramsey and Oliver attempt to display genuine caring for their subjects, Oliver offered a kinder, more patronizing kind of superior <laughs> Brit, while Ramsey called people disgusting and pigs and pretended to gag and or run to a bathroom after eating someone's food. That's the best part. It's the best part. <laughs> Oliver just wanted to help these poor imbeciles. Jamie Oliver's 2010 series, Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution, followed Oliver on his quest to change these stupid, backwoods, <laughs> fat American slobs into proper, healthy Brits capable of colonizing the world, or I guess just not dying of all these ailments that Jamie was so worried about. Oliver's crusade against obesity took him to Huntington, West Virginia, where he exposed those hayseeds for not knowing shit about nutrition. <laughs> What a bunch of idiots. But not to worry, our British knight was there to save these backwards mountain folk from themselves <laughs> through the power of healthy eating. There was a particular way in which certain castes of American society enjoyed this program because it confirmed the class and regional biases that so many clung to and still cling to. For instance, watching these West Virginian kids struggle to identify a vegetable appealed to the sensibilities of New Yorkers, Californians, Connecticutians, <laughs> and pretty much anyone who wanted someone to look down on. And what better person than a rich Brit to say, Hey, look, there are a bunch of you who are gross, stupid, and too stubborn to change. Eh? Great. Thank you. Execution good, the right? accent. There we were, a country of masochists craving a sadistic tongue-lashing from some wild-haired British chef, and were gifted to drastically different people with a similar purpose, to get incredibly wealthy by making us dummies feel like dolts. <laughs> that was go. really fucking Thank good. Thank you, brother. Thank I you. I just want to go on record as saying I was not one of these people who was interested <laughs> in either of these people. Yes. Because I hate British people. And that is part of it, too. That's part of, like, the weird eroticism of, like, Americans watching and be like, God, these British guys are so mean. They just come here and, like, tell us how to live. But at the same time, they're like, yeah, tell them. Tell them they're wrong. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's, also, like, a weirdness to it. There is a weirdness to it. British people, they're just, they do, we're going to get into this. Yeah, but we'll talk. They have some personality issues. <laughs> Especially All British people. <laughs> no, I was about to say, I was about to qualify it. Okay, go ahead. Especially white British guys yes. have personality issues. Yeah, there's an amount of arrogance that even a white American man cannot Cannot manage. achieve, no. Because not, this is a, a historical arrogance yes. that, that we do not have, that yeah. we're just coming into as the new empire. It is strange to we beat their ass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and yet yeah. They, they seem to forget. Like, I'm not saying that America's good or anything. I'm not trying to say that at all. Obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I don't think America's good. But technically, we beat their ass. And they yeah. still come over here like, we're better. But yeah, of course. We beat your ass. Yeah, well, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter, brother. This is the only time I'll say we beat your ass yeah. to anything. Let's go, that. America. It's just that. We beat your British asses. <laughs> Part two. In the mid-aughts. Many Americans, whether we admitted it or not, felt hopelessly lost. There wasn't a huge change. Great start. Thank you. 
There wasn't a huge change from the previous decades, but post 9-11, in the midst of the war on terror and Bush's second term, we kind of got the feeling, at least some of us, that our flag-waving, rah-rah patriotism, support the troops but don't ask why they're fighting, was <laughs> sort of, well, stupid. There was the obvious backlash once the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq weren't the slam dunks we had hoped for. Mission accomplished, baby. That the bloodlust we assumed so quenchable turned out to be insatiable. That the 2,000 Americans and the tens of thousands Iraqis killed by 2005 in Iraq, obviously, was only the beginning. Mm -hmm. Were our fearless leaders wrong? Were Americans the bad guys? <laughs> Was it possible that we could gain some insight into our failures through the inheritors of an older, more refined empire? Yes. But they shouldn't hold our hands. They should slap them. So we turned to the things wow. that made us forget, but also feel. Food feels good. So too does watching people embarrass themselves. These are always elixirs to ease a troubled mind. In Hell's Kitchen, Gordon Ramsay gave us the humiliation we craved, but with a plate of food at the end. <laughs> Not just any plate of food, though. A plate that had been placed by the old empire. <laughs> Let's talk about these shows. Let's talk about them. Knowing all the historical context that goes into these shows <laughs> that I've just decided exists, yes, right? Yes, it does. It exists. Thank you, this brother. This is real. This is an objective look. This is just the facts. Americans have a weird <laughs> sexual relationship. I mean, we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's just true. You're just you're just offering <laughs> that. You're just taking that and offering it with another thing. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes, thank you're you. You're making the connections. This is part 2A. I'm going to talk about Hell's Kitchen and Kitchen Nightmares. Part 2A is called It's Exhausting to be Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> He has the most exhausting job on the planet. Oh God, but Being he, alive. It's just a lot. <laughs> Every day. He's like a lot. He's the, one of the biggest queens on TV. <laughs> it's Donald Trump than Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, definitely. Gordon Ramsay is a six foot two inch <laughs> hunk of Scottish sass and swears. Hunk. <laughs> <laughs> he's a hunk. He wields his chef superpower of brash arrogance to bully us, and we love it. Well, we love it until we're the ones being punished. Mm -hmm. Ramsay was born in Scotland to a working-class family. His mother was a nurse, and his father held a variety of jobs. He admitted in his autobiography that his father was abusive and drank too much. Ramsay started working in kitchens at a very young age once his budding football career ended due to injury. Since then, Ramsay opened a bazillion restaurants <laughs> and received 17 Michelin stars through his Gordon Ramsay restaurant he group. He has 17 Michelin stars? Yep. Yeah. What? Yeah, he's like an incredibly accomplished restaurateur. Oh my god. Listen, there's no doubt that Ramsay knows how to cook stuff well. He's really good at it. Yeah. He's really good at creating restaurants and restaurant concepts. But that's not why we first turned <laughs> to Gordon Ramsay in 2005. We turn to him because he's this quintessential tough love ideal that we pretend we're really into, but usually hate when we're the ones being tough loved at. So true. Right? We like the idea of tough love. We don't like it when it actually happens because it fucking sucks. Yeah. And it usually doesn't help. Gordon Ramsay is always at 11. <laughs> 
His boundless energy seems to radiate from his hair-trigger temper in a pomposity reserved for men of the British and French persuasions. Yeah, he loves, he hates the French. Dude, he'll come out of French. He loves to yell at the French. <laughs> he calls oh. them French pigs. French pigs. He really They're hates dirty French, French pigs. I still remember watching the premiere of Hell's Kitchen in 2005. Wow. Though the memory is foggy, no one can forget the first time they became Ramsey aware. <laughs> Most of what he said was bleeped out. And he was noticeably meaner than Simon Cowell, America's soft introduction to shit-talking Brits. <laughs> I recall thinking, well, this guy is a bit much. But I also wanted to watch him because I'm, like the rest of you, a freak. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to be dominated yeah. by Gordon Ramsay. I just something about it. It's like, I don't know what it is, but I like it. <laughs> whip, whip me again, Gordon. <laughs> The 17-year-old boy discovering himself and what he's into. In the first few minutes of our introduction to this tough-talking chef, an introduction to the premise of the show, the premise of Hell's Kitchen is that Ramsay is seeking to open a restaurant in L.A. and wants a head chef to run the kitchen. And so he has 12 chefs who are led to operate a restaurant under Ramsay's supervision. Very, very intense supervision. Yes. He's appalled at the trash that these chefs originally serve up in their first <laughs> challenge. He's okay with 12 of the dishes, but all of the other dishes were poorly received. <laughs> Here's a, a little bit of a sampling. <laughs> this is a great example of what Ramsey likes to do. He loves to bring in scatological or vomit-related yes, comparisons to yes, food he yes. doesn't like. Because he's brash... Ramsey spat out contestant Andrew's absolute penne, calling it absolute dog shit. Which is <laughs> such a Gordon it's Ramsay really thing. Good. That's a good Ramseyism. Oh, it's so good. He found Mary Ellen's endive dish boring and Wendy's fried rice unimpressive. <laughs> However, Ramsey also spat out contestant Jimmy's stuffed chicken mm. after finding it overcooked outside and raw inside, calling it a, quote, dehydrated camel's turd. <laughs> I like the idea that Gordon Ramsay has studied the various kinds yes, of animal shit. he knows. And he's ready. And he's tasted them, yeah. actually, too. <laughs> he's tasted all the kinds of shit. He's tasted every shit on earth. This reminds me exactly of dehydrated camel's shit. Not hydrated camel's no, shit, no, no, which no. is a that specific a flavor. flavor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so... Let me just tell you something that's wild to me. Mm -hmm. Hell's Kitchen US is still going. It is? At 21 uh, seasons. It has not stopped wow. running wow. since 2005. Wow. It follows your basic reality TV competition format where chefs are competing on teams at first to complete dinner services at this Hell's Kitchen restaurant that has real customers and Ramsay is back there just screaming at them. <laughs> One or more chefs are eliminated each episode until the final chef wins a chance to serve as head chef at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant, and there's, of course, a big cash prize, which is now $250,000. Wow. So you not only get a nice job, you get the two fifty. dollars But if you're the head chef at the restaurant, do you keep that job, or is it just for, like, one day? I think, yeah, I think it's, like, a actual, like, a spot Whoa. as, like, the head chef. Man, he has a lot of restaurants. He has, like, 17 he's got, Michelin stars. He's got stars, at least 21 know? restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fucking... Every time he does a house kitchen, he's like, fuck, I gotta open up another restaurant. The format of the show, which is like many other shows that exist, is not what makes it interesting. What sets the show apart is Gordon Ramsay. People watch because they want to see the man yell at people and think of creative ways to bully them. So true. 
I have not watched a single episode of Hell's Kitchen since 2005 because I don't think that this is Gordon Ramsay at his finest, even though it is technically his most successful venture in American television. I want to see Gordon Ramsay plucked out of the sanitized TV set environment and into the grotesque kitchens of America's (laughs) worst restaurants. Same. (laughs) You know? What really gets me going is Ramsay's other project of the aughts, Kitchen Nightmares, Mm -hmm. the U.S. version. Although I have watched some British ones as well, but that's Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. I will not shy away from the fact, and neither will you, my brother, that in the last (laughs) six months, after watching dozens of Kitchen Nightmares eps from the aughts, I've become a little bit of a Gordon Ramsay fan. (laughs) You know? Okay, I like Gordon Ramsay. You know? (laughs) Like, there's something about him that you're just like, all right. I just feel like... He's all right. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why I feel that way. Like, could I, I don't even know if I could hang out with him, but there's something no. about him that's like. I'm like, all right. I think that's maybe fine. because that level of passion that he has continued to have yeah. for like two decades now in the public eye hasn't gone away. I do think he, gen- okay, so this is going to sound strange. Even though he's a queen and a total drama, like freak, oh he loves drama. He lives drama. for the drama. He lives for the drama. Even though all those things are true, I still think I think he cares for real. I do too. Like he cares about customers, he cares about how people are spending their money, and he cares that you're gonna get what you paid for when you come to a restaurant or when you go to a restaurant, his restaurant or somebody else's. Yeah. That you deserve respect as a customer also. Yeah. Which I think is like really interesting. I agree. I agree. And there Listen, there's a world where Gordon Ramsay doesn't have to do anything anymore. No, he doesn't. But he's he still worth goes like out there. half a billion yeah. dollars. Yeah. He doesn't have to do yeah. shit, but he still does the shit. And yes, he's getting paid an outrageous amount of money. But how many of us would check the fuck out? Yeah, totally. It's almost like he he still has that. And I can't say that this is true for like a lot of other celebrities in general. But it's almost like he has that connection to his roots still and it's like very strong mm-hmm. that like working class where like maybe his family could only eat out like once every two weeks or yeah. less than that and he's like people deserve better yeah you know? he understands that people go to a restaurant not only because maybe they just didn't want to cook but also because yeah. they want to have an experience that is yeah. genuine and interesting which is what a restaurant should offer yeah because you have the option of not eating at a restaurant yeah absolutely. <laughs> so like he, he wants that to be an authentic experience, and he wants every restaurant that he goes to to offer something that they only could authentically totally. offer. Most of the things that he hates about the restaurants and Kitchen Nightmares are that they're like everything else. Yes, or that they are just like dirty and disgusting. Yeah, well, I'll get and to that as well. serving a terrible product. Because there's a lot yeah. about how yes. things are gross. Yes. And he really relishes that. Kitchen Nightmares came to the U.S. in 2007. As I said, it's an offshoot of Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares which premiered in 2004 in the UK. Kitchen Nightmares ended in 2014, so it had yeah. a seven-year run, but it is like squarely within the context of our season two mm-hmm. time period. It lives on through YouTube, and the <laughs> Kitchen Nightmares YouTube channel has over six million subscribers. Wow. I mean, we've watched some we've of those watched together. We've watched quite a few. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> They're so good. Kitchen Nightmares is so fantastic because it brings this esteemed chef into dirtball kitchens around the US <laughs> And he attempts to transform their failing businesses into money makers again. 
The show depicts Ramsey as uniquely capable of inspiring disgruntled employees, turning weak managers and owners into empowered leaders, and making awful menus better with some common sense adjustments. Yep. He has a team working with him. Of yeah, course he does. it's not just him. It's not just him sitting down at the end of a long shooting day. He's got day. a great team. His team is great. Mm-hmm. But I think that the changes that he makes seem, like, really obvious to the viewers. Yes. And we're allowed to gawk at <laughs> these people who are stupid enough to run their businesses into the ground. That's part of, like, why people like to watch it. Of course, I don't want to view it through that lens, but there is yeah. this, like, why are you serving that menu item at this kind yeah, of restaurant? it's absolutely crazy. Why are you letting this chef who doesn't know how to do this thing do this thing? Yeah. Seems obvious, but we've all been in situations where you know that the thing you're a part of is doing the wrong thing, but you're just like, we got to keep doing the we thing. We just got to keep our heads above the water. That's it. That's it. And like, Sometimes you're just in survival mode. And that's all these places that he goes to. These people are in various levels of ruin. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm in survival mode 100%. Like financial ruin, emotional, personal ruin. <laughs> yeah. Often. <laughs> Everybody, like, ends up crying to him. Yes. He becomes sort of a de facto, like, therapist, yes. parent, daddy to all these people, <laughs> including, like, grown-ass men. Daddy who... in both ways. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he should just walk in in, like, a dominatrix outfit one day. There's one thing that he changes that I hate every single episode, though. What's that? The fucking... Why does he add tablecloths? Oh, I hate the table... But that... I think that might be a remnant of, like, Maybe. this time period. Because tablecloths are so not cool. Yeah, they're so not cool. But he will That's add a white tablecloth. The two of us, every time we see it, Ugh, we're like, oh, wow. God, the tablecloths. Part of it is because I worked in two white tablecloth restaurants in my oh, life. Yeah. And, like, just those Triggering. linens... <laughs> Washing the linens, like what a dumb thing to yeah, do. You, you can don't just need to scrub do down it. a table and it just looks better. Don't have tablecloth. So the structure of the show puts Ramsey's supposed genius on full display. I'm clearly, I just gotta say, he clearly is, in terms of restauranturing, he's a genius. I mean, the the products speak for themselves. Yeah, exactly. So yes, first. He enters the restaurant he has been charged with helping <laughs> and immediately comments on the bad decor, usually poor service, and then hate samples a bunch of yeah. menu items. This is interspersed with hectic shots of the kitchen and front of house <laughs> staff. They're either in complete disarray or complete apathy. Yeah. Oftentimes they're so bored that they don't care or things are like, ah, you got to get this out to <laughs> Chef Ramsay. Either way, this place sucks. Like, you can tell based on the shooting. And Gordon Ramsay is sitting there, and there's usually some change of music from the kitchen to Ramsay sitting there, where he's, like, waiting to be served, mm-hmm. and he's looking around. He's like, that looks awful. This looks like shit. He's, like, commenting to other people who happen to be in the restaurant. Yep. He's always engaging with other customers, yeah. asking them what it's like, and they always have really mean things to say. Yes. He usually, in this hate sampling, spit something out. Mm -hmm. He will often compare it to a kind of animal, excrement, Mm -hmm. or vomit. Mm -hmm. 50% of the time, he pretends that he's going to be sick after eating something. He says, I'm going to get food poisoning. (laughs) He always thinks he's going to get food poisoning. He'll sprint to the bathroom from time to time. He is such a drama queen about this. He is just a queen. Like, Gordon, I guarantee you're not going to get sick from that. No, you're not. You're not going to go vomit right now. You're running to the bathroom for the shot, and hey, we love it. We live for it. Yeah, we're here for it. Okay, we didn't mean to make you sick. He has some pre-written zingers often, mm-hmm. like the absolute dog shit the, from Hell's Kitchen. That seems to be sort of a pre-written zinger. 
He has another one from an episode that we watch where he tastes a, he tastes a chimichanga and he says, chimichanga, chimichuck it in the bin. That was one of the yeah. best ones. It's like, all right, Ramsey. I really felt like he was improv improv. <laughs> but he improv I that? think he improv that, yeah. I imagine he sat down with like his writing crew and they're like, all know. right, they got chimichangas in the menu. You're going to say chimichuck it so. in the bin. I don't think so. I think he came up with that one off the dome. I mean, hey, if he is a genius, I then he came up him. with that I off the dome. I believe in him. He's a man this is the believer. one British man I'll defend. <laughs> <laughs> so after this awful display, he meets with the staff and owners and begins to investigate why things suck at this particular restaurant. He'll almost always say that the food is horrible. There are very few instances where he likes something that they offer, which I don't think is generous because I'm sure every one of these restaurants, most of them have something on yeah, offer that might be Yeah, he just never good. orders the thing that they seem to be famous for. Yeah, he usually orders the thing that he knows he can shit talk, which like, all right, that's part yeah, of the that's show. Yeah. Then he sits in on a dinner service and things will always go poorly at the dinner <laughs> service. There's never been a successful dinner nope. service. You get a lot of footage of customers talking trash about things that blow at that restaurant. Yes. Which... This is part of our, our kink as Americans is that we want to be on the show so that we can say something mean about the restaurant that we are currently sitting in and eating at. Yeah, we chose to go there. Yeah. And yet, we have all these complaints about it. <laughs> they fucking hate it. Don't fucking go there. The amount of dishes sent simple. back for every yeah. like Kitchen Nightmares first dinner service. Because they know that Kitchen Nightmares is there. Of course. Yeah. And they want to be, oh, it's dry. Oh, it's tasteless. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting. People love it and they live for trash talking. They do. These restaurants that Ramsay has said it's okay to trash talk. The next day, Ramsay always does the infamous pantry raid yep. and the fridge raid. Our favorite part of the episode. Half the time, he discovers expired food and really milks how disgusting it is <laughs> to just hold rotting food in your hand. He'll pull it apart like Paul Hollywood pulls apart like a piece of bread. Yeah, or if it's like a, it. a tomato, he'll stick his thumb oh, all yeah. the way through it. <laughs> yeah, it's very sexual. Yeah, it is. He's fucking... <laughs> he's like, he's oh, playing it up Look for at us. you, you're fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> Let me show you what I'll do to your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> this will be full of him talking about how disgusting these people yeah. are. He says how this place needs to be closed down several times. There have been instances in Kitchen Nightmares where he'll walk out during a service and say, everybody leave because this place yeah. is too disgusting. This place is a freak fest. He Get did that with the here. Nightmare Twins in that mm -hmm. episode, which is a good or one. Or if he finds out that something that is like a main thing on the menu is frozen or comes from some other oh, source, yeah. he'll walk out and be like, you guys got to get out of here. The raviolis are frozen. <laughs> Did you know that fish was frozen? And then people are like, no. Oh my God. I had no idea. Then he'll do something to inspire people. There's mm -hmm. always the inspirational after the, the crash. He'll provide the feckless owners a place to uh, feel strong mm -hmm. or bring in arrogant owners down by treating them like even more shit than he already treated them. And at some point he'll crack like an emotional core where he'll be like, oh, was it because your fucking wife left you? <laughs> and then they'll be like crying. And then he's like, we got him. And now they're in. <laughs> and the way that TV is edited, we're supposed to be like, oh, that's the moment that that guy realized that Gordon Ramsay's yeah. his daddy. He's going to change now. Now he's going to change. <laughs> the way that you get people on your side is you break them you gotta down. You got to break them down. Destroy them. Yes. Well, yeah. That's obliterate one, one them. One good thing the British people understand. <laughs> they do understand they that. They understand that really well. Yeah, bring people to their knees. Because they come over here and they're like, fuck you, you piece of shit. And we're like, all right. Yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> 
But I have to say that my favorite part of this is not this embarrassing shit. No. It's when he does the restaurant makeover. Yes, he does a menu hard. revamp and they do a relaunch. We love to see people get embarrassed, but we love even more to have our Brit daddy help people in need <laughs> as long as they express the desire to change. This show offers us redemption, and I think that as much as Americans love to watch other people fail, we love more to see redemption. Yes, and especially we love to see the underdog win. We love it. And so, like, small business owners, that's an underdog. Yeah, that's an underdog. We want to see them win. And we know these people, based on how what they reveal, they're all in, like, $300,000 of fucking debt yes. from these shit restaurants. Or a million. One of them was, like, in a million dollars worth of debt. God, it's so... Don't yeah. open a restaurant, guys. I'm sorry. It's bad. It's bad. And I say this as a small business owner. Yeah, we are small business owners, but our business is a little less risky. A little overhead. <laughs> Nothing really. It's just Patreon. <laughs> this show always ends with a more successful, I will not say immaculate, dinner service. And customer footage will always show people happy with their food and the new decor. Of course, Ramsey is triumphant at the end. Mm -hmm. He'll go out and he'll talk to the, the, the camera and say, yeah. Pretty good. We came a long way. Yeah. <laughs> and then he'll just like walk into the night. Yeah. In his chef white. Yeah. Just like, that's it. Yeah. He's just gone. They've got what they need now. <laughs> I can go home. We gave him the tools to succeed. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's just out of there. That's with the exception of one episode. Yes, which I'm about to talk yeah. about. No way. You read my mind. There's only one episode in the show's history where Ramsey doesn't stay to help. And I got to say, it might be the best episode it's the of best reality episode TV. Of Kitchen Nightmares for sure. For sure, it's the greatest. And yeah, definitely one of the greatest reality TV episodes. If you haven't seen it, folks, at the end of listening to Fat Guy, Jack Guy and becoming a patron, <laughs> check out Amy's Baking Company, yes. which is the 16th episode of the sixth season of Kitchen Nightmares. It was the 82nd episode of the series. So before that, 81 successful transformations. And then along came Amy. Woo! It premiered on May 10th, 2013. We're coming up on the 10-year mm -hmm. anniversary of uh, the premiere oh, of we are. Yeah, we Amy's should celebrate. Baking Company. Yeah, we should. <laughs> and it centered on Gordon Ramsay attempting to help Amy and Sammy Buzaglo, owners <laughs> of Amy's Baking Company in Scottsdale, Arizona. Amy and Sammy, the husband and wife owners of Amy's Baking Company, ran a clean and efficient operation, or so it seems the efficient part is the problem there. Mm -hmm. Gordon on his first entry is shocked at how the kitchen wasn't disgusting and that the baked goods tasted great. Yeah. Then we, the audience, are given a peek into how Amy and Sammy <laughs> dealt with the customers last night. So Gordon mm -hmm. wasn't even there for this. In footage of the previous night's service, dissatisfied customers are berated by Sammy and Amy. Sammy threatens to fight a guy physically as they chase them out of the restaurant and Amy calls them like pussies or yeah. something like that. One of the funniest things you'll ever it's see. Absolutely it's insane. Mad. The scene is stunning for its chaos and latent violence. We can't believe that two people this absurd actually exist, but they do, and they are proud of their absurdity. Yes. When Gordon is unhappy with the lunch service food, he realizes that Amy and Sammy can't take criticism at all, nope. which is the number one thing you don't want to show to Gordon Ramsay. Because he's going to bite. He fucking wants you to listen. If you can't take criticism, he's going to go harder. He's your daddy, okay? He's your daddy with a capital D. So he sits in on the dinner service for as long as it takes Sammy to square up with Gordon. <laughs> Literally square up with Gordon Ramsay as if he's going to fight him. He makes like a head yep. motion like he's going to attack him. 
He's ready to fist fight, and then Gordon just calls it off and walks out. It's clear that dead-eyed delusional Amy and yeah, hothead Israeli Sammy, or whatever, <laughs> both, whatever. both decrying haters and people out to get them yes. are not capable of saving. Yes, they, uh, they accused Gordon of being a hater. Yes, a hater. When they called him in the first place. <laughs> yeah, they called him in, and then they were just lunatics. Lunatics. In the next season, Kitchen Nightmares followed up with Amy's Baking Company, who had leaned into their heel image and started (laughs) merchandising with shirts that said, here's your pizza, go fuck yourself, (laughs) and I speak feline, meow, which is something that Amy said Mm because they were both cat lunatics. The saga of Amy's Baking Company teaches us a bit about the Kitchen Nightmares mission. First, it displays that the two most absurd people in the world live in Scottsdale, Arizona, (laughs) which you probably assumed already. Probably, yeah. Second place to guess. Yeah, I mean, it's fucking... Second, we can see that you can out-crazy Gordon Mm Ramsay. It's possible to stand up to him, but only by torching yourself and your business in the process. It took two people with zero self-awareness and a commitment to physically and verbally threatening their customers to defeat Gordon. Is that worth it? (laughs) I don't think it is. It's almost like a shut up and listen to your daddy moment yeah. that we all, like, watching it, I was like, God, they should have shut up and yeah, listened to should, daddy. They really should have listened to Gordon. He knew what he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's, that whole saga, it gets really insane because then they started posting on their Facebook page when people would comment, they would comment back and be like, go fuck yourself and yes. shit like that. They offered immediate response mm-hmm. to bad reviews. Mm-hmm. Two of the least self-aware, most unhinged people... Unhinged. I don't know what their home life looks like. No, but, I don't know either. You know, they're, they're still around. Amy's Baking Company yeah, has since closed, but, yeah. you know, they still exist in some capacity. Yeah. So they, I guess, like, they didn't beat Gordon, but they kind of did. Yeah, I mean, they they... What would have been harder for them is to acknowledge that Gordon Ramsay had something to offer them. Yeah, totally. That would have been the worst thing. That would have yeah. been worse than them, like, I don't know, admitting that they fucked up and that yeah, they're, like, totally. they're in bad... Bad shit with their business. Totally. But let's move on to something that I feel a little bit more strong about. I mean, I, I'm pro-Gordon Ramsay. Part 2B is Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution yeah. from 2010. Ooh. Jamie Oliver thinks poor people should stop being so stupid. <laughs> so true. We don't like Jamie Oliver on this podcast, We don't, folks. and it will become very clear as to yeah. why in a moment. Let me set the scene for you, folks. If you're watching this first episode of Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution, you're sitting there, it's 2010, you're thinking, hey, Obama's just about to get cooking with his presidency, folks. <laughs> or at least you're hoping you Yeah, might. no, that's what, Everyone in America was sitting down to watch Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution and saying, Obama's going to start cooking oh, something. No. Obama's going to cook something. <laughs> we start with the voiceover that tells us how Jamie Oliver is on this noble mission to change food culture mm-hmm. in America. The VO literally tells us Mm -hmm. one man will try to save 50,000 lives. (laughs) 50,000 refers specifically to the population of Huntington, West Virginia. And then we have Jamie Oliver come out and say, I'm here to show America that a small difference can make a big change. Mm -hmm. Huntington, West Virginia is considered the most unhealthy town in America in 2010. Jamie Oliver starts quickly by talking to a local radio host, Rod Willis, 
who fucking hates Jamie Oliver. Yep. Also, the metrics by which they determine this place being the unhealthiest. There's stuff with that, too. It's, like, crazy. Yes. Rod Willis is like, shut the fuck up, Jamie. (laughs) We don't want your healthy food. He says, I don't want to eat lettuce. And Jamie Oliver was like, I'm not going to make you eat lettuce. Rod Willis is clearly playing the heel in episode one because he says this classic thing, I don't think he's going to change us because that's what you're supposed to say. That was like producer intervention very clearly. I don't think Rod Willis had a dog in this fight. I think it was just exciting for him to be on TV. I feel like Rod didn't give a shit. No, he didn't give a shit at all. (laughs) He was just like, you British prick, you think you make me eat fucking lettuce? (laughs) I watch this and I'm thinking, Jamie Oliver's the heel here. Yeah. Rod Willis is not the bad guy, but yeah. you're supposed to watch this as an American and be like, just listen to your British daddy, Rod, yeah. you stupid fool. <laughs> your British daddy who eats fish and chips yeah. and fucking <laughs> fries hamburgers. Uh, don't talk to Jamie Oliver about chicken nuggets, oil. okay? Yeah. Jamie then goes on to visit an elementary school cafeteria and he talks about how gross this school food is. Mm-hmm. He is self-aware and knows that the people don't want him there. He says something (laughs) along the lines of, I'd be mad too. Who am I? This English guy coming in here and asking all these questions. Like that kind of shit. He should have asked himself before he started the the quest. Yes. He should have said, should I do this? He should have said, should I do this? Hmm. Huh. Nope. (laughs) Just going to do it. No introspection. We could have not had food revolution. That would have been dope. Mm. So we should have had a different kind of revolution. That's so true. Jamie Oliver... Would be on the chopping block. Yeah, he would, for sure. He says some shit like, they get pizza for breakfast and chicken nuggets for lunch. Welcome to America. (laughs) Yeah, because only Americans do that. Okay, Jamie. (laughs) He does a great thing where he criticizes the kids as they're bringing the trays up to be thrown out, which is like something that elementary schoolers do, I guess. Like, they have a guy who, like, smacks the trays out into the trash. He's all snarky as he chucks their food in the trash. He says to one girl, you don't like the kiwi. You don't like the bread roll. You know, because she only ate yeah. whatever, the chicken nuggets and like a brownie or something. And he's like, fucking shit talking to these children. And yeah, they're, they're like, kids. Like, yeah, yeah, of I don't course. Know. I'm eight years old. <laughs> I'm eight years old. I want to eat the good yeah, thing. I didn't like the kiwi, man. <laughs> and then he starts interrogating the lunch ladies and he's like, I got to get one of them on my side. And there's like the elder lunch lady who seems to be in charge and she's resistant. But he, like any great predator, pinpoints the weakest of link. Of course. And he goes to her house and he confronts her. This might be the most fucked up part of the show. And she goes into this breakdown because he's explaining about how unhealthy all of this food is. And he's like diabetes, fucking obesity, all of these things that, you know, yeah, he would say. he's just throwing out the keywords. Yes. And then he says, like, you know, you have to change. She says, I'm killing them. I'm killing them. And Jamie says, yes, you are. Oh, my God. He says that this fucking lunch lady... It's not her responsibility. ...is killing the children? She's a wage worker. She's actually, like, keeping them alive in some way because she's feeding them food. Yeah. What do you want them to do? Die? Starve to death? Oh, my God. It was totally crazy to watch it. Yes, you are, but you're going to do something about it. And it's like, but you also just said she's killing them. So you just confirmed... Holy shit. You couldn't think of a better way to deal with that, Jamie? You think you're a big truth teller here? Oh, my gosh. I'm so, so glad I didn't watch this one. It's rough. <clears throat> and I didn't watch the whole series. I legit watched like the first episode. <laughs> because why do I need to watch the whole thing? <laughs> Jamie employs the help of a local pastor who says shit like... Oh yeah, that guy. God wants you to take care of your body. Which like, 
all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Jamie's quest to defatify <laughs> Huntington, West Virginia mm-hmm. is a mixed bag. <laughs> Ultimately, like nearly everything from this time period and our current time period, Oliver misses the big point. In fact, for all of his health crusading, Jamie Oliver routinely missed the root causes of mortality that he continually attributed to bad food choices. Yes, according to the health metrics that were used to decide that Huntington was the unhealthiest city in America, that yes, it's technically unhealthy. But it has nothing to do with chicken nuggets at school. (laughs) These mortality factors have a lot more to do with deeply ingrained generational poverty. Yep. Data from the last year, we're talking about data from 2021, 2022, indicates that Huntington is the poorest city in West Virginia, which Mm -hmm. is the second poorest city in the United States. (laughs) But no, it's the food. No, it's the fucking chicken nuggets at school. Yeah. Among the five places in West Virginia with available data, populations over 25,000, Huntington ranks as the poorest. The typical Huntington household earns $33,000 a year. Oh my God. Compared to the statewide median household income of $48,000, and that's statewide in West Virginia, which is still the second lowest. Which is low as hell, yeah. 32.1% of the population of Huntington, that's 14,000 people out of 43,000, live below the poverty line, a number that is higher than the national average of 12.8%. That is nearly triple the national average Mm -hmm. of poverty. He went into this city that is. They're poor. Poor as fuck. (laughs) And he's trying to tell them that they're killing their kids because of chicken nuggets. They're not fat and unhealthy. They're fucking poor, bro. They're poor. Like, really, really (laughs) poor. It's very simple. Jamie Oliver rides into this impoverished West Virginia city on his super high horse to tell people that they were gross and they needed to make better choices. Jamie Oliver... A man worth an estimated $400 million in 2023 had the gall to tell people who have historically struggled with poverty in the aftermath of the Great Recession to make better choices. This is 2010, right after the Great Recession, in a place that is already poor as hell. And where people, a lot of people probably lost their jobs in 2008. Yeah. And he's like, you fucking killing your kids. (laughs) He says, don't kill your kids, he said. Maybe with some of your resources, Jamie, they too could eat what you call healthy food. If the lunch ladies that he guilted didn't have to struggle to afford their modest lives and the school system wasn't horribly underfunded, they could do what you consider to be better. But seriously, fuck the fuck off, Jamie Oliver. Yeah. This is about systemic poverty. This is not about personal food choices. He can't attack systemic poverty because it would make him complicit in it. Mm -hmm. And then he wouldn't have a solution for it because the solution would be be like... a solution for him to be up against the wall. (laughs) Maybe like... And us redistributing his wealth. (laughs) (laughs) That's not an attractive solution. Yeah, they don't like that. Rich people don't like that. When you tell them, hey, there's a solution to all this. It's redistribute your wealth. They're like, no. Nah, maybe you shouldn't eat chicken nuggets. Stop eating chicken nuggets, Mike. Obviously, Jamie Oliver's... Uh, food revolution did not go off as well as Gordon Ramsay because I think that there is an element of sincerity to the way that Gordon Ramsay yes. approaches people. And Gordon Ramsay is not trying to do a restaurant revolution. He's dealing with individuals on an individual level because I think he understands that that's 
where he can go. Yes. Doesn't want to go past that. And Gordon Ramsay is wealthier than Jamie Oliver, yeah. which is crazy to imagine someone has more than $400 million. But uh, Gordon Ramsay does. Did we look into Jamie Oliver's history, his his early years? I did not. Okay. But I'm just wondering if there's like a difference in the way that they were raised. I can imagine that there yeah. is. I feel like Jamie Oliver has always had an extreme level of privilege. Yeah. Where like maybe Gordon didn't. I think that and that's like, probably And, like, we know accurate. Gordon didn't. I don't mean maybe, but, like, Gordon yeah. didn't. So he knows what it looks like when, you know, you are poor. Um, where Jamie doesn't really understand that concept. No, he doesn't understand that your choices are directly tied to your uh, economics. Yes. And there's very little that you can do when you have very, very little. Very little, yeah. Especially when you're talking about the, the place that he was in. He wasn't in... Uh, a wealthy suburb where he was addressing... He didn't go to Park Slope, Brooklyn for a reason, he folks. certainly did not. But I guarantee you there's many people there eating crap. Guarantee you there's school lunches. If you're talking about yep. a public school, we all got the same shit. We did. It was school lunch. It was school lunch and it was trash. <laughs> and it was good. <laughs> so he had these policies that were implemented. And I read an article about uh, one of the commissioners who was in charge of this in Huntington and they immediately had to scrap it because it was way too expensive to keep up the, the kind of school lunches that he implemented, even though at the end of the show, it's like, look, we have all these things and they're doing well. Um, they didn't go well. She made some strides in like offering better lunch options, but ultimately his plan can't work when you're talking about like municipal budgets and yeah. shit. It just doesn't work that way. This is an addendum here. Not too long after Jamie Oliver's food revolution, Huntington, West Virginia became famous for a new American epidemic, which is actually a real epidemic, opioids and opioid deaths. West Virginia remains the epicenter of the opioid epidemic. There are 90 opioid overdose deaths per 100,000 people in West Virginia, which is the highest in the country by far. And Huntington has experienced significant opioid issues. There were periods in the past 10 years where 1 in 10 residents of Huntington abused opioids. In 2022, Huntington and Cable County lost a case against the three largest drug distributors in the country that would have provided them with $2.5 billion in damages that might be used to combat the crisis. Once again, those affected by systemic issues are not provided with systemic support. Jamie Oliver's crusade against unhealthy foods was another example of how personal responsibility won't change shit Mm -hmm. if there's no, like, systemic change. In the Jamie Oliver world, maybe those poor people should have made healthier choices rather than get an Oxycontin prescription from a pill mill. (laughs) But that's the Jamie Oliver specifics, right? He, He wants you to change your personal choices, but he is unwilling to address root, deeply rooted systemic issues yeah of course it's too hard it's too hard so why not tell them to eat a salad eat a fucking salad you fucking losers (laughs) you poor losers eat a salad go for a run yeah you know know, it's not a big deal maybe i'll make you healthy chicken nuggets (laughs) i'll bake them instead of fry them all right yeah with with your food stamps make make better choices yeah what the fuck you know, when you're struggling to heat your fucking home in the winter, make better choices about that, though. Yeah, instead of spending money on heating your home, you should spend money on going to Whole Foods Market. Yeah, wear a sweater, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a classic, like, dad thing to tell a kid when it's cold when in the house. You know, wear a sweater. Yeah, Jamie Oliver sucks. <clears throat> Jamie Oliver is giving you dad logic here. But, like, uh, bad dad conservative logic. Conservative dad logic, yeah. Yes. bad dad logic. 
I have to say something before we, you know, talk about what this means as a representation of the time period. Let me just tell you Jamie Oliver's children's names. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not coming for the kids, okay? I don't know anything no, about the kids. No, it's not their fault. I just saw they their names. They didn't name themselves. And you tell me, if you're a person who is in Huntington, West Virginia in 2010 experiencing poverty and having some British asshole tell you how to eat your fucking food... If you want a guy with kids whose names are these to tell you okay, tell how to live your life. He has five fucking kids. Okay, of course he does. God, I can't believe these are real. Poppy Honey Rosie. Okay, that's one name? That's one name. <laughs> okay. That's not three kids, that's okay. one kid. Okay, Poppy Honey Rosie. Born in 2002. Mm-hmm. Daisy Boo Pamela. Boo? Yep, mm. Boo, B-O-O. Okay. Born in 2003. Why do they have three names? <laughs> they all do. <laughs> they, they, they get worse. Petal Blossom Rainbow. So Petal Blossom, two flower things, yeah. and then Rainbow. Rainbow. Okay. That's a kid's okay, name. Okay, that's a kid's name. Buddy Bear Maurice. What? No. <laughs> no. That's a, no. That sounds like a like a absolutely not a boxer you're in the seventies. Fucking, fucking with me right now. Buddy Bear Maurice. <laughs> you're fucking fucking with me. And then finally, River Rocket Blue Dallas. <laughs> Wait, that kid has four names. River Rocket Blue Dallas. That kid has four names. What the hell's going on at the Oliver What's household? What's going on? I guess it's just as his net worth continued to increase. They're like, we gotta keep giving these yeah. kids more names. We gotta get if fucking crazy. If he has a crazy. sixth one, they're gonna have five names. Yeah, it's just like, all right, another name. We have enough money to afford five names. Yeah, that's crazy. So wait, you're saying, but just go back for a second. <laughs> Food revolution did not take off in the U.S. as well as everything else. Nope. Yeah, uh, I think he did one more that was in Los Angeles, but mm. it is nothing like yeah, the yeah, Ramsey yeah. Revolution. Americans don't really take to Jamie Oliver in the way they take to Ramsey. Yeah, I mean, the one Jamie Oliver media thing that I watched was his TED Talk, which oh, we yes. watched together. Truly horrendous. Which was horrendous. He brought notes on stage, but kept forgetting what he was going to say and didn't look at the notes. I didn't understand that whole thing. They were just a security blanket. They were just a security blanket, but like he didn't use them. And then the whole time he's just railing against, again, you're, as you pointed out, he's just railing against the choices that we make as individuals mm-hmm. when we're just like trying to survive in many cases. Yeah, and being like really snarky about it. For instance, when he talked about Huntington, West Virginia, he's like, the poorest state. Well, you got a new poorest one now, yeah. referring to like Mississippi. Yeah. But it's just like, that's like a goof to him. Yeah, absolutely. It's a goof that people have you know, health problems that are more related to intergenerational poverty and stress and the fact that, like, it's fucking hard to be poor in this country and anywhere else than it has to do with whether or not these people, like, have a soda. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if maybe their people didn't live in food deserts. Like, there are so many things that are systemic in nature that he refuses to acknowledge. I'm sure somewhere along the line he did, but the whole, the front facing message yeah. is you Americans and hey don't hey British people are bad too but you Americans You're the are worst. fat stupid idiots yeah. and I'm here to help you yeah. as if no one in America has thought about this before yeah this is not like <laughs> a new thing like, this is something people are constantly saying I'm talking about this forever and it's directly related to the systemic issues that you mentioned before it's not there's nothing there's nothing that we can you can say to convince me otherwise yeah and people, obviously people it's can't, also people can't in. take care of themselves the way that they want to because they don't have access to fucking healthcare. They don't have access to like good food in the area where they are. 
They can't, like, go and get it. Some people can't even drive to go and get it. They, yeah. There's no bus going there, nothing. Food deserts. They don't have the money to buy it in the first place. So it's like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And he didn't know what he was talking about. And I'm sure our friends at maintenance phase would also... Yes. Tell Definitely. us that this is, of course, deeply rooted in anti-fatness. Oh, as I mean, well. yeah. Well, all of this That's is all, of, all it. of it is deeply rooted in anti-fatness. I'm not even addressing that because that is just such an obvious yeah. thing. Like, of course, Jimmy Oliver is saying, "I I care about the food that you eat." What he really means is like. I don't want you to be fat anymore. Yeah, of like, course, that's, that, that's what that means. Because that's, you know, we we have said over and over again in our society that being fat is like a moral decision that you're making, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And it's an actually an immoral decision that you've made. We don't approve of it. Same you're as poverty. Make, yeah, same yeah. as poverty. You've made this like terrible immoral decision. And so you're, that's why you're getting punished for it. But let me tell you, there's a way out if you want. Mm-hmm. And that's like the message all the time. Yep. It's just so obvious. Like it's not even, he's so transparent in his like anti-fatness that it's yeah. like, why even talk about it? Yeah. To be honest. So Jamie Oliver sucks. Gordon Ramsay, we kind of like you, daddy. Yeah. We like that one. Uh, <laughs> even though, you know, there's certainly things to hate about Gordon Ramsay. Although even if you look at things like their business practices, for instance, Jamie Oliver had to shutter a bunch of restaurants during COVID, and then there were a lot of labor violations that were brought up as a hmm. result of it. Hmm. Didn't see anything about that with Gordon Ramsay. I'm sure things have happened because he has a fucking empire, man. Yeah. He's a he's an he's an empire. Yeah, holder. we're not saying that he's a good guy. No, but Just we like that him more. He cares probably yeah. more than Jamie Oliver. Like I'd rather hang out with Gordon than Jamie. Yeah, and I think that they're they're like playing into this humiliation kink that Americans have. I think they both probably are trying to do that. I think mm-hmm. Jamie Oliver is actually trying to capitalize on that. Definitely. And Gordon Ramsay's just so much more successful at it. Yeah. Yeah, because like, he's... A hundred times more. He's doing it. He's yeah. right in your face and yeah. he's giving you that. Jamie Oliver's like, you're a fucking murderer. But yeah. Gordon Ramsay's like putting two pieces of toast up to your head and saying, <laughs> what do you... What do I... What do I have I got here? I've got an idiot sandwich. You know? like, that's yeah. like fucking funny. Yeah, we like that a little bit more. Yeah. Listen, Americans, we're not subtle people. No. You know? Give us that humiliation. Just write down our throats. <laughs> yeah. Also, make it be about something real, you yeah. know? Like on a competition show or like the fact that you're giving your clients or your customers, sorry, a bad product, you mm-hmm. know? Not a choice that is completely out of your control. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it sucks for like Huntington, West Virginia to deal with all of this stigma and, and mm-hmm. stigma coming from everywhere. And it wasn't like, wow, Huntington, West Virginia is one of the poorest cities in America. It was Huntington, West Virginia, unhealthiest Unhealthy, city yeah. in America. Yeah. As if you cannot tie what we consider to be health markers to poverty, which right, we can. Right, which we can. They're directly related. And also, again, I you know, I go back to this, what I said before. I would love to see the metrics that they use to determine this town mm-hmm. is unhealthy, is more unhealthy than any other place. Yeah. Like, what makes this town more unhealthy than any other place? Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine these, like, fake metrics that they've made up. Yeah. Or these, like, superficial, not maybe not fake, but superficial metrics that they've made up to det- make that determination yeah. about any place. Yeah, of course. And I think that if you looked at that list 
from whatever it is now and whatever it was in 2010, it is directly related to poverty. Yeah, I'm sure that the, <laughs> I'm sure that the towns haven't changed. They're probably just maybe switched yeah. around a little bit. And now, I mean, you have like fucking opioid epidemic in Huntington. Like that. That's that takes a little bit more precedence that's the than the chicken thing. nuggets. Yeah, sorry, Jamie Oliver. So how is this the British mean chef invasion representative of the time period 2003 to 2013? We've talked about it a lot. But we were craving this in this time period for some reason. We had this deep need to be embarrassed on like a large scale. And we wanted to watch the embarrassment of others, but they were a proxy for us, I think. Totally. Yeah, I think people, I think that's part of the reason why these shows were so popular. I feel like that might be why competition shows that have like the mean judge in general are popular now. Yeah. There always needs to be a mean judge. We get that. There was something to the British mean judge that really like yeah. got us because there's a degree of otherness, but an otherness that is like celebrated. Yes. An otherness that is loved, yes. actually. Beloved. We, and this is a very hack thing to say, but Americans are suckers for a British accent. It lends mm-hmm. credibility to people who have no... Um, need to be credible yep. at all. It's like, wow, you're fucking British. He sounds huh? so smart. Yeah, it's like, no, not at all. That's pretty hack. But um, <laughs> it, it was very true in that time period. But it's still true. It is still true. It's still true. Because we don't want to hear other dumb Americans tell us that we're dumb. <laughs> and Gordon Ramsay has gone on to bring in MasterChef, which was a thing in the UK, yes. and is now I've watched episodes of that as well. Yeah. He He's doing the same old song and dance, oh, yeah. but he's, it hits. He's still talking about things being dehydrated camel shit. Yeah. He's For sure. disgusted by you, but he also loves you. Yeah. <laughs> and in some cases, that's the best kind of daddy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's going to embarrass you, but then he's going to like take you home and, you, and he'll cuddle you afterwards. Like... It was all just for the He respects your kink. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He will never kink shame you. Jamie Oliver just wants you to be dead, I think. (laughs) He doesn't want, he doesn't care about your feelings. Gordon Ramsay is able to relate to people struggling because he has definitely dealt with some struggle. I'm not saying Jamie Oliver hasn't dealt with struggle. I'm sure he fucking has. But like, he cannot relate to people. And Jamie Oliver's whole show was, let me relate to these poor people. But then he couldn't. But then he, yeah, but he wasn't looking through it through the lens of, let me relate to these poor people. And I'm a very wealthy, very privileged person. It was, let me save you. Right. And that is like, no, we're we're not interested in being fucking saved. No, we're not interested in being saved. We're interested in being whipped. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to get our asses beat here. (laughs) Don't save me, humiliate me, spit on me. I don't need to be saved, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's like the general American audience's attitude towards it. It's so true. I love these shows and I Well Hell's Kitchen Hell's Hell's Kitchen kitchen, Yeah, mostly kitchen nightmares. Mostly kitchen nightmares. And I think that everyone, if you haven't given it a thought, you you should just check check it out. If you've never like really gone down a Gordon Ramsay rabbit hole, you might find yourself liking Gordon Ramsay at the end. He's a mean guy, but that meanness is also like really endearing and funny and like dramatic and it's good TV. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I have that humiliation kink that most of you weird Americans have. (laughs) However, I will say that I do love watching him 
kind of it's like a weird he's providing care in a in a way that I am not used to. Yeah. And I do like that yeah. aspect of it. So that's that. That's that, man. These are our British chefs, the These mean are British, British chefs. chefs. Yeah, the mean British chefs. Jamie Oliver's just mean. He's just a bastard. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. Gordon Ramsay, good guy. Everybody go out there, tweet at Jamie Oliver, tell him he's a piss pig. <laughs> tell him that Gordon Ramsay's he's his a, daddy. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Tell Jamie Oliver that, yes, Gordon Ramsay is his daddy. I wonder if they've ever done, like, a face-off, like a chef-off. They should, but Gordon would kick his ass verbally. He would destroy him. He would make him cry. He'd kick his ass verbally, physically, and... Oh, yeah, definitely. Culinarily. Oh, yeah, definitely. Culinarily, for sure. Let's go! Let's go! All right. If we can put that together, that'd be great. <laughs>